Well, good morning. It's great to have you here today. Felt like I needed some water this morning, but I, I uh, better not leave it here because, you know, when I do this, all of a sudden the, the water is all over the place. And uh, anyway, <laughs> somebody told me the other day, they say, how do you take care of that finger? You do that all the That's the got to break your finger or hurt your whatever. But anyway. Well, welcome and uh, glad you're here. Isn't it nice to have summer here? I know it's not June 20th, but the warmth and wow, man, I, I, just, I just love it. That's when I like to go, if the, all the windows in my car are up and you go out to the parking lot, it's been on, you know, at the end of the day, the sun's been shining on it all day and you get in and it just feels so hot. And this time of the year, I just like to leave the doors and windows closed and just feel the heat. Oh, man, it feels so good. But anyway. Hey, so as we begin this morning and continue our study in, in what we've called the appendices, um, we're going to deal with uh, the issue of homosexuality. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? And uh, I want to give credit where credit is due with all of the plagiarism that goes on these days all over the place, but certainly in the pulpit, I want to make sure that I am uh, above board and give credit where credit is due. And so number one, uh, this book, a uh, book by Kevin DeYoung, uh, we've talked about him before you've heard his name, uh, called Homosexuality, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? Excellent resource if you're interested in following up, doing more reading and study in this area. Um, obviously, uh, full of the Word of God. That is a foundation for what I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, folks, and God's Word is always God's Word, and so he has organized the thinking. And then a, a friend of mine, David Whiting, who's a pastor, I've uh, known for a long time and have heard him speak on this subject and, uh, a number of times. And I was talking to him about this. I said, hey, Dave, can I use your notes? Do you care? No, 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 Glenn, do whatever you want. And I said, don't worry, I'll give you credit. He said, I don't care about that. I probably got my stuff from somebody else anyway. And, and uh, so he sent me his PowerPoint even, and I've uh, edited that just a little bit, but his stuff is there. So I want to make sure you understand that right up front. But the key, the thing that matters most here is the Word of God. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. Because in this discussion, as we talk about this issue, um, what the Bible says is often assumed but not studied. In other words, there's probably, we could say generally speaking, if we can break it out that way, there are basically three positions on this whole issue of homosexuality, same-sex behavior. And one would be that of those who are convinced that it is wrong. Um, and those who, as they're convinced it's wrong, would say, be able to say, here's why I believe that is. But many are, even in the church, convinced uh, of its wrongness and yet really have no idea what the Bible says. Uh, it's emotion, it's public knowledge, but, but couldn't really pick up the Word of God and take that and then explain, teach to somebody so that they would understand from a biblical perspective what the Bible actually says, although they're still convinced it's wrong. And then secondly, it's those who would be convinced it's okay. 
It's no big deal. What's the problem? There's no issue here. It's a part of life. It's 2022, not 1822 or 22. And um, there's no idea of what the Bible says, but yet um, convinced of their position that it's okay. And then there are those, the third category, those who don't really know. Those who are confused. Those who maybe once thought they knew, but then now all of a sudden with all of the cultural uh, climate going on and, and the lifestyles and all that we're seeing and the, the pressure uh, in our schools and workplace and everywhere else, confused about the whole thing, maybe the Bible really doesn't say what I thought that it said or a lot of my friends are okay with it or I really just don't know what to think anymore and uh, uh, confused. And, and I want to just right at the outset just give you a quick definition so that we know we're at least on the same page with the terminology. And so I would say this, and this is Kevin DeYoung's, I, I think this is right out of Scripture, um, not the words itself, but based on what the Bible teaches. Homosexuality, the self-determined activity of those engaged in sexual behavior with persons of the same sex. Um, that's pretty basic and right at the, at the heart of it. So as we study this morning, and, and, and I don't want us to assume, but study. And so maybe some things that you assumed were so, we'll find as we dig into the word, aren't so. And it's, it's critical that we understand, though, as we look at this, that the Bible must be, must be the final authority for what we believe and how we live. We, we went over that a few weeks ago. That's in our statement of faith, but that's what God's Word teaches. The Bible is the authority, the final authority. And when we say that, therefore, we cannot allow our experiences not to minimize or delegitimize your experience to say that it means nothing. No, that's not. But we cannot allow experience than to cause us to reinterpret what the Bible says because of what we have had as an experience in our life. And that's the way society is functioning today. Experience, opinion, uh, me, myself, and I, we determine, and, and, and that's important, and yet God's Word is the ultimate authority, and you determine or you interpret experience through the grid of the Word of God, not the other way around. It's critical that we understand that at the outset. And if during his time on the earth, and we've talked about that when we went through the study on biblical authority, if Jesus himself, in answering questions by the Pharisees or whoever, in teaching what he wanted to get across, if he referred to scriptures, and at that time it would have been the Old Testament scriptures, and quoted those scriptures as authoritative for what he was saying, certainly we would be wrong to do any less. So today we want to ask and answer one question, and it is simply this. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? It is critical that we understand what the Bible says. And in this day and age, I know there is a lot of confusion. We're being hit with this at every front. Our students in school, at every grade level, 
and right up in through the university, right into the workplace, right into our neighborhoods, wherever we go, it is there. And I recognize this morning that this is a highly sensitive and emotional issue. I understand that. And we as believers cannot argue and fight based on emotion. We've got to have truth. And so I want to be very careful this morning. I want to be sensitive because some of what we look at today and even when we read through Scripture will be uncomfortable. It just will because we typically aren't used to digging into these kinds of things. And so I want to be above all biblical, but I want to be clear and I want to be careful and I want to be thorough in what we talk about, though it may not be totally thorough in one Sunday morning together. I also want to be truthful and I want to be humble. Folks, I, I'm, I don't have all of the answers. I, I can read and study what the Word of God says, but I'm doing my best and will continue to study God's Word. And so I want to present that truth that way. I want this to be helpful to you who don't know what to say. You've taken a position and you don't know how to talk about that. You don't know how to explain that. You don't know how to defend what position you're taking. And, and so I want to be helpful, but I want to be bold with the truth and not back off because it is such a sensitive and emotional issue. So I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to look through um, six different texts in Scripture and um, look at what they have to say. Some might say that they're only six, and I, I don't I've studied through that, and, and I've found more than six. So when we say that, it doesn't really matter, but there's not, you know, a whole pile of them. There's way more on so many other subjects, biblical authority, uh, marriage, and um, money. There's more said than there is in the Bible on homosexuality. But we're going to deal with six texts today, Genesis chapter 19, probably, uh, the most familiar and uh, probably the most referred to in this whole discussion, but probably, as we're going to see, should not really be used when you're in a discussion talking about arguing about or hopefully not in a heated argument, but, but trying to explain what, what we believe and why and, and this is not the place to go first and foremost to help those who are struggling today with the sin of homosexuality, and we'll see just why in a minute. So, as you know, here we are, verse 1 of chapter 19, Genesis. Um, and, and if you don't have a Bible and want to follow with a hard copy underneath the chairs in front of you somewhere close at hand, should be a Bible, Genesis chapter 19, that's page 12. So any of these references that I put up and you see that yellow number, that's the page number in the Bible there. Um, so let's, let's go. So Sodom and Gomorrah, and you've heard of those two cities, right? Probably the two most famous cities known for sexual immorality in the Word of God, in the Bible. And uh, we have come to even use that for, as a synonym to describe just generically uh, wickedness and evil and sin. I remember my junior year in college. Um, went to a Bible college out in the Midwest and, 
and uh, got there my junior year, and they had so many students that they didn't have enough dorm space, and so uh, they picked 12 of us, four of us in three different apartments, and put us in apartments off campus. To this day, I'm not sure why I was one of those 12 that they put off campus. We thought, we looked at the four of us, looked at each other because we'd been roommates and we're going to continue to be. And we're like, are you kidding me? They put us over here? And, uh, but we lived in this apartment complex with everybody else. It wasn't the college culture at all. And, uh, I mean, it was such that we'd walk out into the hallway on a regular basis and you could get high from the smell of marijuana just in the hallway because of what was going on throughout the building and who knows what else. But we affectionately referred to the place as Sodom and Gomorrah. Where, do you, where are you staying? What dorm are you in? Well, we're in Sodom and Gomorrah over in the... And uh, so you, you understand how that is used and here, here is why. And so verse 4 of Genesis chapter... 19. Follow with me, please. I'll have it on the screen, too, as I read. Before they had gone to bed. Now, what happened here? Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, two angels show up to Sodom, and they find Lot sitting in the, uh, the city gate, and uh, he invites them into their home because he knows what kind of a town Sodom is. And so here we get, he's invited them to his home, verse 4. Here it is, before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And then we go on, verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them, but don't do anything to these men, for they've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. Lot was not native to the city of Sodom. And if you go back in Genesis, you would read uh, he and Abraham and the relationship and all of that. But here it is, so that's why they're calling him a foreigner. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. Remember, these guys are angels. Lot didn't know that, but they were. I mean, if he'd have known that, if that had been me, I'd get out there, take care of them right now. But... He didn't know that, so the angels pull him inside and strike the crowd with blindness. And then we read this. Uh, so that, uh, verse 12, the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he, the Lord, has sent us to destroy it. Man, there's a lot we could say just about the text itself, but we want to keep moving through this morning. But first of all, don't think Lot was a hero. I mean, what a dad, my word. Um, and yet, he had been caught up in the sin of the city, that whole area. 
And that's part of the whole thing. We could study Lot's past and see how he got to this point. But it didn't happen overnight. It happened because of a slow walk away from God and truth. That's what happened. And so here we have it. Now, we look at that, and uh, if you're familiar at all with the text, you would say, well, I understand this text, and I, that's what I usually talk about. There's no question that, that this is homosexual behavior that's going on here. But what we need to understand is nobody, saved or unsaved, would approve of what was going on in this city that night at, at Lot's house. Uh, they cer- it certainly was homosexual in nature, no question about it. But this is not what most people talk about when they refer to the homosexual lifestyle in our culture today. That is not a reference to what's happening in our society. And we need to be very careful. What was going on here in Genesis 19 is not monogamous, consensual, same-sex sexual relationship. That's what homosexuality is today, but that's not what this is. Oh, yeah, in nature, there's homosexuality going on here. That's where the city got its name. It's now a crime. Sodomy, right, came from this city. But but to use this text isn't going to help you in talking with people who are involved in the homosexual lifestyle today because they would even say, no, 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 this is not what we're involved in or what we're part of. Now, progressive Christianity would argue as they look at this, well, that was just an outlier kind of activity and, and that's not really the problem that, that God is going to destroy the city for. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49, we would read it this way. Um, they would go to this text. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom, She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And so progressive Christianity would say that the problem here in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 was social injustice. They didn't care about the poor and needy. They were unconcerned. They were gluttonous, overfed. They were arrogant. They were all caught up in themselves. Therefore, what, what we would use as a proof text, it's not, it's not legitimate. Well, what we have to do, again, we talked when we studied Scripture, is take the context. Well, let's go back to verse 47 and see the whole context as we work through this. You could go beyond that if you needed to. Verse 47 You not only followed their ways and copied their, Sodom's, detestable practices, but in all your ways you soon became more depraved than they. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. Now to verse 49, which we already looked at. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, did not help the poor and needy. Verse 15, or 50, they were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Now, as we look at the context, we we see there in verse 47 and in verse 50, the reference to detestable things. Some translations you may have says abomination, singular or plural. 
And, and as we talk about that, that word is used throughout Scripture. In fact, that same word in the Hebrew is used in Leviticus chapter 18 and, and chapter 20. And we're going to get there in just a minute. But that, that word is used, the word there for detestable practices is what's used in Leviticus to describe a man lying with a man as with a woman. And what did we just define homosexuality as right there? So that is absolutely. Now, there are other things going on that, that uh, Ezekiel was talking about, but certainly there's no question as we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom had a reputation for more than just social injustice. They had a rep uh, reputation for sexual immorality, sexual sin, and specifically homosexuality. There's no question about that. You could also, if you want to write it down and look at it later, we're not going to go there, but Jude 7 makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you could study through Jude and see in Jude 7 what is said there. Now, let's move on then. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. We'll take these two texts together. So when you get to Leviticus, right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, way back at the beginning of your Bible. And uh, if you have it there, uh, you're probably a page apart, so get your finger in there and, and we'll move back and forth a little bit. But the book of Leviticus, the word holy or holiness in that book is used 87 times. 87 times. What would you think the theme of Leviticus is? Yes, holiness, right? You, that was so obvious you thought, I oh, can't be, he's trying to trick us. No, 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 no. Holiness is absolutely the theme. Holy behavior, holy people, a holy God, a holy tabernacle with holy furniture, with holy priests wearing holy clothes and all the rest of it. I mean, over and over and over. Holy and holiness, 87 times used those words in the book of Leviticus. There's no question that holiness is the theme of that book. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, we read, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Remember what we said about that word, detestable, there it is. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Now, as we look back to chapter 18, I want you to, to look back to verse 6 in Leviticus chapter 18. And, and we're going to look at verse 6. I'm not going to read all of this, folks. And you'll see as we move through this, you can study through this on your own. You know, you may have never been back here because when you start sometimes to read through the Bible, it's every year, right? You're going to do it in a year and you get to Leviticus and it's like, whoa. And that's where many people get stuck. And okay, I'm going to try something else this year. But here we go. Chapter 18 and verse 6. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. 
She's your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife, born to your father. She's your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She's your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relationships with your mother's sister because she's your mother's close relative. And we go on all the way down to verse 22. Folks, you can go on and read through that. It, It doesn't change. It doesn't get any better. God defined sexual sin and he laid it out here. And that's what's there in Scripture for us. And as we understand that, it's like, wow. And right there when we get to verse 22, um, you get to do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Now, when we look at these two verses here and then the one in chapter 20 and verse 13, it is critical that we must ask, first of all, what is the sin that is being talked about? Because if, if we have, uh, let me have those two slides, the two verses, Jesse. Yeah, if we have um, the sexual relations there with a the man as one does with a woman, the sexual relations here, what is the sin that we're talking about here? Uh, we say now we're coming at it when we know what the sin, because we're referring to it, But we got to ask that question, what is the sin? And then secondly, are the laws here in Leviticus still relevant to us today? Now, this is how some people would argue against it. All right. Well, of course, this this is old. How in the world can we apply these laws back from Leviticus to 2022 today? That's how they will Argue, And so we need to understand what Scripture says. So as you look through those lists in chapter 18, and as you move up to chapter 20, there's more lists. It is important as you look through that, tell me which of those sins that are listed in either of those chapters that are okay today because it's 2022. I didn't say that are being committed today. I said that, that we would say, oh, that's not a problem. We... Leviticus is out of date, so these are really okay after all. Well, go through and read, and you tell me which one of those sins is okay. Because Scripture tells us it's not okay. You see, Leviticus, holiness of God, God's people are to live differently. They are to be different than all the nations and countries and peoples surrounding them in the nation of Israel. It is critical. They must be holy. And God's design for marriage, we looked at that last week, is one man and one woman. That's what scripture says. That's why we spent time studying, because that's what we need to know about marriage. But as we look at it here, we've laid the foundation of marriage. All of a sudden now we have the problem, do not have sexual relations with a man as as one does with a woman. Or if a man has sex relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. You see, the problem is God is saying, no, men with men, women with women, not, not to be. Why? Because he designed marriage, one man with one woman. Remember we said that. 
lifelong covenantal relationship of one man and one woman before God. That's marriage. This is not. This is not. And so as we study that and we understand it is critical that this is a violation of God's design for marriage and a sexual relationship. Critical that we get that here in chapter uh, 20 and verse 13. Um, let me see the next slide, Jesse. <clears throat> yeah, both of them. Notice, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. You see, one of the things in the, in the homosexual community where this, these relationships happen is that sometimes there is one that is more passive in the relationship than the other. But the problem is in Scripture, both of them have done what is detestable. And as we understand Scripture and read through it there, it is critical that we realize gender is the issue at hand. That's why God spells this out for us in the book of Leviticus. It is the gender of those that are engaged in sexual activity that is the issue. That's why God said one man, one woman, lifelong covenant relationship before God. That's marriage, not this. Now, as we look through then and we talk about answering the question um, about um, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? It is critical that we know then, okay, are these laws still relevant today? We say, what is the sin? It's clearly sexual relationship of same-sex individuals, man or woman. Here it's just spelled out man. And so, but it is not, it is a violation of what God gave us for marriage. So how do we figure out then the second question? Are these laws still relevant for us today? Well, we we need to think that through. So uh, David put together a nice chart for us and, and, uh, and, and talks about three different ways of looking at uh, all of the, the, the categories in the Old Testament of the various uh, laws that are there so that we can figure out are they applicable for us or not today. You've got ceremonial laws which would basically be for the nation of Israel. These would be the Jewish feasts and sacrifices we know, we know all about them. We talk about the Passover, the Day of Atonement, the Festival of Weeks, the Year of Jubilee, and all those kinds of things. Those would be the ceremonial feasts. Then you've got the civil laws, and the civil laws would be simply just like they are today. What do you do with a thief? What do you do with a murderer? What do you do with a drunkard? What do you do with uh, financial uh, mismanagement and dishonesty. Those would be civil laws. And back then, you know, it's amazing. A lot of our laws today are based on Bible laws from years ago. But, but, but for that day, civil laws were there. And then we have moral laws. Moral laws are timeless laws that reflect God's character and will. All right? And so as we look through Scripture and we're studying like we did just in Genesis, or Leviticus 18 and 20 and say, well, how do we know they're still for today? Well, let's look back and let's study and try to figure out, are they ceremonial laws? Are they uh, fe about feasts and sacrifices? For instance, in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, this is what Paul says. 
Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Ceremonial laws that were given back in the Old Testament, right? Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Ceremonial laws that were given in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Those laws are no more active today. Why? Because Christ has come and fulfilled the law. So back to our chart, as we look at this, the ceremonial laws, we, they're not active for us. They don't apply for us. And then you go and you look, okay, well, what about the civil laws? And the civil laws that applied back then uh, to govern the nation about thievery or murder or, or dishonesty or whatever it may have been, okay, well, they may still apply, but, but many of them had only to do with Israel or the surrounding nations at that point. And, and so we can move beyond that. We can still try to figure out would they apply. I mean, murder would be, right, a violation of a civil law. Of course, it would be a violation of a moral law. But as you talk through that, that's another category. So that leaves us with the moral laws, the timeless laws that reflect God's character and will. And, and many times as we talk about this, we're accused of picking and choosing what we pick out of the Old Testament. So we'll pick out homosexuality, but we'll ignore. Look at chapter 19. You should still be there in Leviticus somewhere. Look at chapter 19 and verse 19. This is just one example. Uh, that I'd be talking about. This was a law. This is part of Leviticus. And, and people would say, well, you didn't pick this one. How come you don't live by this one? And what does it say? Verse 19, Leviticus 19. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Yeah, anybody have a garden? Do you have corn and tomatoes in the same garden? Oh... Do not plant to your field with two kinds of seed. How about this? Do not wear clothing woven with two kinds of material. All right. Now we have some major problems. Well, how do we know? Those were ceremonial. Those had to do with the nation of Israel. Those were feasts and sacrifices, not what we would live by today they were fulfilled in christ for instance we get to the new testament we get to the book of acts and we find out when gentiles joined the church remember the jews began the day of pentecost but when gentiles joined the church there was a little discussion and disagreement and it was solved and and the, the conclusion was gentiles did not have to become jews to join the church right however they did have to flee sexual immorality why? Because that's a moral law. It's timeless. And that's what we talk about. And so as we work through that, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all quoted from the laws of Leviticus in the New Testament. And we need to be cognizant of the difference between the ceremonial, the civil, or the moral laws. The moral laws. Which of these sins, as we talked about, would not be sin anymore? And, and here you go. So when you read through there, is incest okay still now? What about adultery? What about child sacrifice? Hey, that was in the list. Uh, what about bestiality? What about lying? What about oppressing others? What about that? What about love your neighbor as yourself? Which of these do we eliminate? You see, when you go back there, 
in the midst of all of these is the sin of homosexuality, man lying with man as he does with a woman. And they want to take that out. Well, should, which of these do we take out? You see, so the question is, are they moral laws? And absolutely the answer is yes, they're lifeless or timeless, excuse me. And, and as we think through that, it's critical that we understand. And then another, a third point, Leviticus used a strong language in condemning same-sex sexual behavior. I mentioned to you the use of the word abomination and detestable. And when you see those words in Scripture, they're used many times. Uh, the sexual sins in Leviticus 18 and, and 20 are grouped together. And as a, as a grouping of sins are referred to as abominations. However, only male with male sex singled out by itself is called an abomination and is detestable. That's the only, all the group of sins is called an abomination. But the only one of those group by itself when pulled out that is called also one sin of that list that is called an abomination is Male with male sex as a man lies with a woman because of the way God views that. And then the last point, the clearest evidence of an Old Testament law being a timeless moral law is if it is repeated in the New Testament. And you can find <clears throat> there are these laws that we see in the Old Testament. Do we find them in the New Testament? Because if we do, that's a great indication. In fact, probably real strong evidence not probably, it is real strong evidence that if it's repeated in the New Testament, we need to pay attention to it. And so I want to look at three New Testament texts quickly. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. And here's what we read there in Romans <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 24. And you can read the context there, you want to get more to the picture, uh, but it's, it's really just piling it on as you start at verse 18 and how the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Folks, that's happening today. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's idolatry. Worship and serving the created things rather than the creator. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Again, Gender is the point of what Paul is saying about this sexual sin. And he's saying the sin here is that men gave up. You say, well, well let me see verse 26. And, and as we look at that, 
because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Well, what are those natural sexual relations? The way God designed marriage. A man and a woman in a lifelong relationship. A covenantal relationship of love. And the physical union of a man and a woman is the natural way God put it together. That's why he said, be fruitful and multiply. It can only happen that way. Two men cannot multiply and neither can two women. Women. So as we look at that, now you say, well, how do you know? Are you sure? Well, let me look back at verse 27. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women. That's how we know what natural relations are. Men with women. But they abandoned those natural relationships and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men with men. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Folks, that's about as clear as it gets. And, I, and we could dig into that a little deeper, but I, I want to keep moving on. But I do want, before we leave Romans, I want you to look down to verse 32. Look down to verse 32. Because we read there, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Again, he's talking about the same sin that's going on back up in verses 26 and 27. They deserve death, he says. Although they know God's righteous decree, they not only continue to do these very things, notice, but also approve of those who practice them. Those who approve of those who practice this homosexual behavior are in the same boat. They're wrong. That's what God's word says to us. Take note. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now here's, this is the appendices part, right? We did study through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And um, uh, in, in the end of, or the middle of, of chapter 6, starting at, at verse 9, there are two texts that we're going to look at together here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and then 1 Timothy chapter 1. But here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, notice, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now what you need to understand in here is what he starts in verse 9. They are wrongdoers. In other words, this isn't just a once-in-a-lifetime sin that, that this list, because it's not just homosexuality, right? You see that. It's sexually immoral, idolaters, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, right? This is when that is their habit, their pattern of life, their lifestyle. Because those, Paul is saying, who live like that do not know God. Because if they did, they wouldn't live like that. But that doesn't mean, we have, 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 have you ever slandered somebody? Are you going to heaven? Well, if you know Jesus Christ, you are. And even if you slandered somebody as a believer, that happens. The Bible talks about gossip, right? We, 1 John 1, 9, we confess it and are forgiven. 
But this is a lifestyle of these sins. This is a habit, a pattern. That's why Paul says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And as we go on, um, again, which of those in that list don't apply? Because this was written in the New Testament, so that's a few thousand years later, not a million, right? No matter what you hear when you go to state parks and all the rest of it, right? A few thousand, a couple thousand, all right? And so as we look at this here, that's what we understand. But which of those sins in, in 1 Corinthians uh, idolatry, is that a, a, adultery, is that, is that okay? Is greed all right now? What about drunkenness? What about slandering? No, see, when we pick and choose, no, you don't. You take it all. But that means you don't eliminate the one you don't like. Men who have sex with men. We take them all together. It's critical that we understand that. Now, keep your place there, but I want you to look because we're going to look at a little word study. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and um, verses um, 9 to 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we read this. Paul says, We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, for whatever else, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now, I'm going to give you a real brief Greek lesson here because there are two words that we're going to look at. And um, I like the way David said it when he was studying through this. And, and, the, and we never want to give you the impression that just because I have studied Greek or somebody else says that if you haven't, you never can understand the Word of God because that's, that's not true. Does it help? Absolutely. But you can understand Scripture if you've not taken one Greek class at all. But there's two words here that we're going to look at. The Greek word malakoi and then this one arsenakoitai. Is, is another Greek word, and, and first of all, malakoi, and they're both used in these texts, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and the word malakoi means yielding to the touch, being passive in a same-sex relationship. That's the meaning of those words, and they're involved in our study here. And then the arsenakoitai, arsenakoitai, uh, is a compound word. Now, you know what a compound word is, right? Compound word is, like, is what sunflower, right? Compound word, sun and flower, boardwalk, right? Well, that's the word here, and the compound word here is male plus intercourse. And we know what that is, folks. And that's the word that's used in Scripture. And then the second, this word describes male homosexual sex. That's the word in Scripture. Now, you understand. People will say, you know what? Homosexuality wasn't even a word till like the 19th century. Yes! So that's why we don't have the word, but Paul sure got it right ahead of time because God got it right. And, and probably they say it's a word that was Paul put together taken from the words in the book of Leviticus because Paul referred to the book of Leviticus as did Peter and Jesus. 
And so as we're talking, these words are part of that. And as we understand the words for homosexual relationship, men having sex with men, women having sex with women. These are the words that are used. So, what's the bottom line? Well, we have three options. Three options. We can accept what the Bible clearly says. You say, well, it's clear to you. Well, if you'll study, it would be clear to you too. We can accept what it says, and and that's how we live. We've said it is our authority. We need to respond that way. Or we can try to reinterpret the Bible. That's what progressive Christianity does. If you remember, we went back through our study when we talked about deconstruction and people who know Jesus walking away from their faith or who we thought knew Jesus and maybe do, we don't know, but who walk away and we studied that whole thing, progressive Christianity. And this is what they're trying to do, not just in this area, in so many areas, trying to reinterpret what the Bible says. Folks, you, you, you can't. Not when you apply specific, logical, consistent truth and principle to understand language and what the Bible says. So they will try, but it can't be done. And then finally, those who simply, we could ignore the Bible. And in some of the reading and study that I came across, one of the things that is happening, we already know that because we studied through the whole idea of deconstruction, that is what's happening. But it's not working. They would be more people of integrity if they would simply say, you know what, we're just going (laughs) to, and we know what the Bible says because it really does say that. So we're just not going to believe it. We're going to ignore it. But those are the options to what do we do as we think about this because here you go. Here's the bottom line. Homosexual activity is not an act to be celebrated. Kevin DeYoung says this, but a sin to be forsaken and forgiven. Yes, forgiven. A sin to be forsaken and forgiven. Our culture is celebrating this, folks. You know that. Talk to your kids. It is the cool thing in schools all over the place to say, well, I'm homosexual or gay or lesbian or whatever term you want to use. Not to be celebrated. It is a sin that must be forsaken and it can be forgiven. You see, the consistent teaching of the Bible is clear. God forbids homosexual activity. It's there. You can't miss it. But it gets worse than you think. Because the Bible condemns every form of sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. Do you realize that? The only place that God said sexual activity is okay is between a man and a woman who are married. You do know that churches are full 
of unmarried heterosexual couples sleeping together all the time. You understand that? That's wrong too. We talk about homosexuality. Yes, that's wrong. Scripture talks about it. But Scripture also talks about heterosexual couples sleeping together outside of marriage. That's wrong. I don't care if you're engaged or if you think you're going to get married or if you love one another. It doesn't matter. You're not married. And sex is for marriage only between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. That's what we have to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go back there and we'll end here. We looked at verses 9 and 10. Or do you know, know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. And that is what some of you were. We're all sinners. And before Jesus came into our life, that, Paul's talking to the Corinthians. We talked through that book. Wicked, nasty, evil, sinful city. And that is what some of you were but you who know Jesus he's talking about who are saved were washed cleansed by the blood of Christ you were sanctified set apart to God as holy to be used for God's special purposes as sanctified people And were justified. No, not just good. No, declared by God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Declared to be righteous. No longer an enemy, but righteous before God. A child of God. We were justified, washed, sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Woohoo, huh? And every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as Savior ought to be up dancing around. Amen. Yes. Don't sit down, Joe. Stay there. Right? <laughs> but shouting amen. Because that is what we were. And if you're here today struggling with sin, with homosexuality, you can be washed, sanctified, justified, and forgiven. If you're here struggling with the sin of heterosexual premarital sex, you can be washed, or maybe you were, or you can be sanctified, you can be justified. And even as a homosexual, I'll, there's a term same-sex attraction that's different than homosexual behavior, folks. 
And, and I think we will deal with that in a couple of weeks. But we need to understand that aspect of it too. Because there are those who know Jesus that are struggling with same-sex attraction. I didn't say homosexuality. There's a difference. We'll get there. And as we talk about this, it is critical. Jesus came to deliver us from the penalty of our sin. He died in our place for our sin and paid that debt. Amen. But he also came to deliver us from the power of sin. Sin no longer has power over us. And even the sin of homosexuality, as powerful as it is, even that of adultery, even that of lust, even by pornography, as powerful as they are, even pride and anger, as powerful as those sins are, Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin and the Holy Spirit dwells within us to give us victory. One day we will be delivered from the presence of sin. The presence of sin. Hallelujah. So today, the beauty of the gospel is that every sin can be forgiven. And we don't need to be defined by that sin. And if you're battling a sin, a sin that so easily besets you, you don't need to be defined by that sin. You can be forgiven. You can be washed, sanctified, and justified for the glory of God. You don't need to be known as a murderer or an adulterer or immoral or a homosexual or a glutton or a thief, or a gossip, or a liar, or on and on and on we could go because we can be forgiven and washed and sanctified and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, My heart aches for you, for us, as a people in this day. And yet we have hope. We have the truth that will set people free. We must not keep that to ourselves. We must declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that those chained by sin can be set free. That's redeemed. And we need the love to proclaim it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can be set free. That we can be forgiven and that we can overcome any and all sin in our lives. Oh God, I don't say that not knowing that it's a piece of cake because it's not. But God, help us to claim the power 
of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross for our sin. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.